We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Today, I talk with Kirk McIntyre, who is a San Francisco-based software engineer and entrepreneur. His first business was a mobile app development company he co-founded with his college roommate called Vector Digital. After five years of successfully developing applications for clients, he and his co-founder decided to go their separate ways to explore other avenues. Kurt then went to work for Miraki, which is part of Cisco. While there was much to learn at Miraki, such as standardized processes, etc., he decided entrepreneurship was better suited for him. He and his wife both quit their jobs and embraced a month-long road trip through the Southwest just before the COVID-19 pandemic was starting to shut down cities. In addition to bonding with his wife, Kurt made his daily tasks to read, write, and sweat. He used journaling as a tool to help him figure out what he wanted to focus on next. After returning home, he decided to focus on machine learning and co-founded SharpML. SharpML is currently focusing on consulting with companies to develop AI solutions in the form of image, video, and data analysis. One important takeaway Kirk shared was that he and his co-founders learned that they needed to acknowledge and work with their different communication styles. The key, Kurt found, was being open about their fears and working to understand each other's different workflows. In addition to having weekly sales and tech meetings, he and his co-founders also make time to share their thoughts and fears. Now, 
Let's get better together. Kirk McIntyre, welcome to the podcast. Hey, how's it going? I mean, it's going pretty well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I know uh, we're like in week nine or ten or whatever this is we're going to call it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was funny because we had, were talking a little bit ahead of time, and I actually thought you moved out of the Bay Area uh, in San Francisco. Turns out we're like a couple miles away from each other, but, you know, <laughs> sequestered. Um, and I want to get to talking a little bit about what you're doing right now and kind of how things are going with, which I think is a new gig, but we'll dig mm-hmm. a little bit more into that. Uh, but before we do that, why don't you give us a quick background, the nickel tour, so to speak of how you came to be doing what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm in Hayes Valley, San Francisco. I've lived in San Francisco for about five years and I'm a software engineer and entrepreneur. So um, I moved out to the Bay Area because I had started a software engineering consulting firm shortly after college. I started it with my, my college roommate. We, we started this mobile app development shop together. It was called Vector Digital. And we would make custom mobile apps for a variety of customers in the Minneapolis area. So it was a lot of startups, a lot of people with cool business ideas. You know, I think there was the heyday of mobile phones being like very shiny and new. (laughs) Everybody had an app idea. And we were more than happy to help these entrepreneurs build uh, mobile apps. So um, had had an awesome run with Vector Digital. We ran that for about five years. Um, about halfway through, I expressed to my co-founder that I wanted to move to the Bay Area. I wanted to give us more access to a wider range of customers. And, you know, there's no better place to be for tech than San Francisco. So I, I packed up and moved out here with my wife and, um, you know, continued to grow that consultancy. So uh, moving to a new city, being faced with like a blank slate, it's like, okay, well, how do we start drumming up business in the Bay Area? So I came up with this idea to um, you know, run a meetup and use that as a, a marketing vehicle for uh, Vector Digital, the consulting firm. So I, I started up the San Francisco iBeacon meetup group, and we would hold events, uh, you know, something like once a month, once a quarter, and we would kind of bring together all of the people in town who are really excited about Bluetooth technology and then more specifically iBeacon tech. And if you're not familiar with iBeacon Tech, it's um, you know basically these little sensors that you can put on physical objects like your computer or a forklift, you know anything, and your mobile phone, your iPhone or your Android phone can interact with those those iBeacons over Bluetooth. So it's really cool because it helps you understand, you know, and it helps an app understand where it's physically located. Um, that was a really cool, exciting technology. And me and my co-founder and our consultancy, we were all over that technology. So that's actually how you and I met. That's true. I was a speaker there. I remember. Yeah, you were a speaker. And I reached out to you because you were running a company called Lab Sensor Solutions. Yep. Um, and super cool technology. Um, you know, for folks that don't know, um, you know, you put these temperature sensors inside of um, what would you call it? Like blood carriers? Igloo, igloo coolers of blood vials is what it was. <laughs> yeah. The super low tech, like you're shocked that 
this is how the blood tubes in the world are transported. But yeah, they were igloo coolers from Walmart. Incredible. So, you know, that's a great use case for Bluetooth and, you know, that this whole like Internet of Things story. So I reached out to you. I was like, hey, you got to speak at this meetup. You know, I think you're a great example of an entrepreneur in the Bluetooth space. So you came to the meetup, gave a great talk. And ever since then, we've kept in touch, you know, every couple of months, send an email back and forth, grab a beer or whatever. I've always thought you were a fascinating guy. So um, it's been Yeah, flattery will get you everywhere, time. man, for sure. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't drink anymore, by the way. So we'll have to get coffee. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, I work with coffee. Um, you know, I started about 8 a.m. and keep going until about 2 p.m. It's hard to fall asleep, but you know, I'm, I'm addicted. So. Yeah, got to be addicted yeah. to something. <laughs> that, that works for me. Um, so me and my co-founder, we wound down Vector Digital. We were kind of over the consulting thing. We had built you know 30 plus mobile apps and you know the prospect of building another 30 wasn't, uh, it wasn't exciting. So we spent about six months trying to think of various uh, software as a service business ideas. Basically, take that consultancy and turn it into a software product. We did every brainstorming session, all of the customer development, read all the books, <laughs> brainstorming like business model generation, and it just didn't work out. Um, we we really wanted it to, but we weren't able to come up with an idea that each of us were were passionate about and could see ourselves devoting another five years to to running the business. So we both went and got jobs. He got a job at Target. I got a job at a company called uh, Meraki, which is owned by Cisco. Yes, familiar. And, uh, yeah. So I did that for a couple of years, and that was a great experience. Got to you know see what it's like on the inside of a company. Uh, I'd spent my whole career only working at a startup, you know, running my own company, not having a boss. So to be in a world of business politics and having a boss and, you know, being in a room of people, you know, trying to do these big team consensus based decision making activities mm -hmm. was, was really a new experience for me. And, um, you know, frustrating at times, other times I was able to figure it out and navigate it just well, but it, it wasn't the easiest transition <laughs> for sure. Um, it only took a year, year or so before I started, you know, getting the clarity that I wanted to return to entrepreneurship. Uh, I was, you know, not knocking anything at Meraki. Oh, I think no. it's just, you know, something fundamentally about how I'm wired and yeah. what I need personally to be happy. On yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the whole journey all of us have to go. I used to tell people, you know, they'd be like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, like younger folk. And I'd be like, well, look, so go work at a big company and go figure out if you <laughs> like that. Mm -hmm. And if you are like, ah, you know, I don't like the bad corporate coffee and I'm pretty much unemployable, then come back. But you have to learn the quote unquote right way to do it so that you can break all the rules when you come back mm -hmm. to being an entrepreneur. And I learned that one the hard way. Um, and and it, what's interesting is that you have to kind of learn that the hard way or it just doesn't stick. I, I agree. I agree. I, I really like your point about learning how to do things the right way and with like a process uh, formally. I think the cool thing about being an entrepreneur is you, you're just faced with this blank slate, blank canvas. You can do anything. You can build your business any way that you see fit. That's, that's a gift 
but it can also be paralyzing <laughs> because it's like, well, each time, you know, okay, let's say it's time to make your website. Well, it, it's, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to build it completely from scratch? Are you going to use Squarespace? What are you going to do? And I think that on someone else's dime, learning how to make those decisions and navigate them and figure out what the nice hacks are, um, will just supercharge you as an entrepreneur. So at Meraki, I was able to see lots of, for the first time, what is it like to deal with scaling, serving, you know, hundreds of thousands of customers a day, millions of pieces of data, you know, going through our APIs at any given time. And that was something I just really hadn't had to deal with before. So I learned a lot there, leveled up a lot as an engineer. And now that I'm, you know, switching gears away from Meraki, uh, I feel like I have a better tool set to work with, a better set of processes. Um, I know how to do certain things right. And I also know how to do things that I, I'm going to completely do different as, as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's oh. there's definitely a huge amount of value in that. And then, and then the people that do that for their career and they love that, you know, more power to them. I mean, mm-hmm. they may not want to have the... Uh, uncertainty or the uncomfortableness of having to hustle or whatever. I mean, that's totally cool. I mean, again, it's like, it's a, it's a lot of kudos to those that can, you know, you find your, the, the thing is, and you said it, it's like, you got to find what makes you happy mm-hmm. because if you don't, you're just going to be miserable. <laughs> and the more miserable you are, the worse your work product, worse your life product's going to be, or just your life in general. So, you know, when it comes to corporate, right, you trade you trade money for time a lot of times. And money for freedom, actually, is the, the more important thing. And, and, and if freedom's important to you, then you got to really think, okay, well, mm-hmm. is it really worth the money or not? But on the corollary, freedom has its price. <laughs> freedom is not free, <laughs> mm-hmm. as they like to say. Um, and you got to figure it out. So that's really cool. Well, I'm glad you found your uh, found your way back. Yeah, it's it's been a journey, you know, in February, my wife and I, my wife had reached about four years at a startup that she was working at. So the timing was right for her to transition out and leave there. So we both quit our jobs, like within a week of each other. We had been planning this out for months, by the way, but uh, <laughs> we we both quit our jobs. And then we hit the road for a month long road trip throughout the Southwest US. So it was kind of just an opportunity to reset, figure out where our priorities are and really get some clarity around what we wanted to do next. I had, I already had the clarity that I wanted to start a business, but I think the next step was what type of business do I want to run? Who are the people I want to work with? And I used that month of travel to bond with my wife, but then also, you know, really do a lot of soul searching around what type of business I want to run when I get back. Mm-hmm. So we, we traveled from San Francisco down to San Diego, went to Joshua Tree over by Palm Springs. Oh, yeah. Um, Beautiful place. Did the big haul to Tucson, went to Saguaro National Park, and then worked our way up to Flagstaff. Yes. And Grand Canyon, Zion National Park, kind of all over in that southern Utah, northern Arizona area. And it was great. Uh, Yeah. Sounds great. a month on the road, lots of reading. I kind of set out a goal of every day to read, write, 
and then sweat, you know, do some sort of physical act. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Read, uh, write, and sweat. That's like the new mantra. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I open up the notes app on my, my iPhone and, you know, every day I tried to journal a little bit. It didn't need to be anything that was like publishable, but just exercising that part of me, the, you know, putting thoughts to paper, crystallizing thoughts and, you know, just making some memories that I had on paper. So, uh, it was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. What was interesting is about halfway, you know, the first half of the trip was kind of pre-coronavirus. And the second half was very much coronavirus because this thing ramped up very quickly. So the first week of March, we're in San Diego at, you know, at tiki bars and basements, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people. And it really wasn't a thing because there were only a handful of cases in the U.S., Right. The next week we're in Palm Springs and Joshua Tree where it's getting a little bit more remote. And that's when, you know, biz, you know, restaurants start shutting down and stuff. And by the time we got to Tucson and um, northern Arizona, that's when like coronavirus was in full effect. Fortunately, by then, you know, we were in Flagstaff, Arizona and it was easy to spend 24 hours and only interact with a single person at the grocery store or something like that. So incredibly lucky that the timing of the trip was such that the rural stuff was in the second half. If it would have been flipped, I yeah. think we would have uh, come, you know, <laughs> yeah, like, come home, cut it short or, yeah, <laughs> or something. So we actually, at the very end of our trip, we had a plan to go to Las Vegas, but we canceled canceled that part, and we just extended our stay, stay in northern Arizona. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time. And, you know, when I came back, we came back to San Francisco, and it, it was such a shock because it's locked down here, where in Arizona is, you know, like rural and, you know, not too much was shut down. So to come here and all of a sudden be wearing masks everywhere and nobody was outside that was a really wild transition. But what it gave me is all I had in front of me is my computer. It's time to sit down and start brainstorming business ideas and reaching out to friends I wanted to work with and, uh, you know, start building a business. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> that's, uh, it's so funny because, um, like I started this podcast on March 16th. That was the first episode that's, uh, I tell everyone that's my mother's birthday and basically the first day of shelter in place in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my timing, as I always like to say, it's almost like a dad joke now. It's my timing's either perfect or it's awful. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I, I think what's interesting is that, um, you know, opportunities are everywhere and it's, it is really interesting to try to start something during a crisis or disruption because, you know, the PR and marketing firm that I run now that I, you know, inherited or ran for my, my wife and now my late wife, um, it's just, we're just super busy because, you know, communication's like one of the most important things right now. I mean, clear, concise, and compelling communication is like gold because there's so much thrash out there, there's so much noise. There's just noise, you know, noise creates static and static is hard to get your signal across, right? Mm -hmm. Um and so, you know, part of the reason I continue to do this podcast and, and, you know, is because of that. I think 
the conversations of sitting down and, and, and my whole goal was like, I'm going to do it in person. We're going to have a cup of coffee together. Like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I am looking forward to having coffee with you once we can. So, uh, I agree. and it's, and I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't leave because <laughs> I thought for whatever reason you left. Uh, but I think that's a good, that's the entrepreneur attitude. I think it's like finding a opportunity when opportunity comes. So, so have you figured out what you're going to do? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, you know, at, when I came back in March, I kind of had some clarity around two different technologies that were exciting to me. So blockchain and um, machine learning. And I've, I've been a crypto investor for a year and a half, two oh, years. And, and, and you admit it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I do. I, I invest in it too. I just lose money in it too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely haven't made much money off of it. Um, you know, I, I started investing like uh, mid 2017, like peak hype cycle, watched it through the end of 2017 when it totally crashed. Yeah. And, you know, I check it once a week. I, I try to stay up. But I do think that there's a really interesting technology at the core there with blockchain and the future of transforming financial payments will happen. But that one just didn't grab me in the same way as machine learning did. Mm -hmm. As I started digging into machine learning, I saw a lot of really interesting opportunities. I had misconceptions about machine learning that... I, I was able to overcome and these misconceptions were really surprising when I, when I overcame them. So one of the misconceptions I had is that you have to have a PhD to do machine learning. <laughs> um, another one of that, like that you needed so much math and statistics background that those were the only people who could do it. Mm-hmm. I think another misconception I had is that these models were so expensive and took so long to train that you needed to have infrastructure that only the Apple's, Google's, Facebook's had. And as I started building my own models, I learned that that wasn't the case. I think that there are two types of machine learning. There's the scientific frontier machine learning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what a lot of people think of. Mm-hmm. They think of the, you know, the PhDs, lab coats, you know, everybody's just like, hardcore NASA scientist level, Mm -hmm. but there's another type of machine learning. That's the everyday machine learning. It's um, the manufacturing plant, um, analyzing video on the assembly line, detecting if an item has a defect or not. Mm -hmm. That stuff is very doable. You don't need a PhD to do that type of machine learning. Yeah. It's Uh, like the, the blue collar machine learning. Blue collar machine learning. I like that tagline. Um, yeah, feel free to steal it. You know, it's my job. <laughs> my job to communicate. You know, I have all these great ideas. But That's who knows great. if they're any good? <laughs> We've been calling it uh, machine learning for everyday businesses. Yeah. Well, um, it's just so it's interesting because keep on going because I have this, this really cool. Cool. We'll, we'll circle back. Um, so then, uh, you know, there's that the, this kind of blue collar machine learning, and to do that, you don't need the PhD. You don't need the massive amount of commute, uh, compute. And together it's, it's like, I was looking at something like I can do this with the right team of people around me. We can deliver for this kind of class of customer. And that was the class of customer that I delivered to when I was doing vector digital, the mobile app consulting firm, lots of startups and ambitious entrepreneurs and small to medium sized businesses. So um, got really excited about this. It's like, this is, this is an opportunity. We're kind of past the hype cycle with machine learning. 
But then at the same time, all the tools and technology are to a place where you don't need to have a PhD to be a practitioner. Like this is this is the right time to hop in. Yeah, we're so, we're in like the trough of sorrow, trying to pull out of it. It's 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 mm-hmm. a weird, eclectic thing. Yeah, no, it's totally you're mm-hmm. totally you're 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 in the right kind of realm because you know machine learning and AI as an example, like this kind of the same thing. Machine learning is like the first step before AI, but then you go look at AI and AI has just got it. it fragments and segments into a gazillion things it's it's mm-hmm. it's it's literally like ai is not what you really think it is and and i like the approach because uh i actually have a friend named troy who's doing a lot of work um on ai and and like trying to figure out the whole stack and like mm-hmm. not like how how businesses can use ai to be more productive or make more money or whatever um so yeah i'll definitely need to hook you guys up because yeah. he is like you want to talk about deep dive into AI and you want to talk about like thorough. He's thorough. Hey, <laughs> I mean, I'm interested. Thorough to a level that it will just spin your head, but you will know <laughs> for a fact that he is like dug deep and understands what's going on. I mean, he's just, he's been that way his whole life and he's just great. Just what a good friend. Just so like detailed on that stuff and detailed in a way where you can understand it. That, that's the thing that I, a lot of these, like, you know, got alphabet soup after your name. Like, I think I understand you're speaking English, but I don't understand a word you're saying. And you, you know, you're going to write a paper for Stanford or Harvard or MIT. That's great. But if you want to explain it to, you know, Joe Schmo and the, the bottling plant, you know, who, mm-hmm. who, who's got way more like, experiential knowledge than you will ever have and like makes money and like can get shit done. Like, yeah, I, yeah. So cool. All right. So, so is, so is it a consultant business or what, what is it? We're, we're doing, so we, we've made it to the point where we have a set of co-founders, me and a couple of colleagues that I used to work with one of them from Meraki, another one who worked at Braintree um, Mm -hmm. and had, you know, worked at Accenture before that. Uh, so we got a couple engineers and a PM basically. And between the three of us, we think that we have the right team and we have the right technology that we're trying to address or, you know, kind of general broad technical application that we want to use. So now it's figuring out, are we a consultancy? Are we a SaaS software business? Are we a blend of the two? And that's, that's the hard part, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I got spreadsheets, spreadsheet after spreadsheet, you know, revenue (laughs) models, business models, um, you know, competitive analysis. And we're really trying to hone in on this. I think for the first couple of customers that we address are, it's going to be a consulting firm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hey, you know, you're willing to talk to us. That's great. Um, Let's, let's build you something custom, but learn a lot about the pain points Mm. and kind of write those down. Okay. These are the pain points and kind of like things that we see in machine learning. And the goal is to slowly start automating a set of internal tools that help us deliver for these customers faster and faster. Mm-hmm. That's the dream of every consultancy. <laughs> so I can't guarantee that that's actually going to happen. I think that's uh, how, I think that's how base camp slash 47 signals started. And, you know, depends on what you want to do, right? You want to be venture backed or, you know, what lifestyle, whatever, you know, people get all poo pooey about that, but mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I mean, 
Hmm. I mean, I certainly see a lot of that kind of need. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of folks trying to work on that because there's a lot of need for that. So that's interesting. It's interesting. So is it going to focus on manufacturing AI or what's the what's the main focus? Yeah. So our big focus is on image and video uh, classification. So, so for those who, who aren't sure, um, it's the idea of taking a picture of something that's training a model based on lots and lots of pictures of something. So let's say that it's in a manufacturing plant. Let's say that this manufacturing plant makes coffee mugs. Mm. And um, well, what we could do is the manufacturing plant knows that there are defective coffee mugs and then there are good coffee mugs. Well, what we can do is we can put a, a camera on the assembly line. And we can basically start collecting images of good coffee mugs and defective coffee mugs. What we can do is we can train a model to look at all these good ones and all of the defective ones so that once you're done training it, it could get a new image that it's never seen before and then make a prediction. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Defective, not defective. And that's the kind of blue collar machine learning that we're, we're excited to do. Um, we, we are kind of focused on industrial and manufacturing applications, but we're willing to talk to anybody <laughs> at this point. Um, like, oh, you, know, you want to do a ghost kitchen? <laughs> yeah, we're all in. <laughs> Did we get free pizza? <laughs> so I, I don't think that we're the kind of folks that you hire for the Netflix recommendation engine. Um, just Probably. yet. I think that, all right. Well, good to aspire. You know, I think that, we will we'll, we'll get there. Um, we're hoping to expand our skill set over time, but I think for now it's focusing on these image and video applications. So we have uh, you know a couple of customers that we're talking to, and we're just trying to learn as much as we we can from them. You know, get some pilot projects under our belt, and then start automating things. Hmm. Interesting. So we've we've formed the company. We're just getting started. Um, you know, we're we're working through some of the you know, co-founder paperwork around like the articles and corporation, oh, what wow. happens if one of us leaves. Man, you're so, like, just like, like the birth of it. <laughs> right at the birth. And I think something that's been really fun is with these co-founders, it's a completely different dynamic than it was with my college roommate co-founder. Me and my college roommate co-founder, we could like speak telepathically to each other. So zero friction, zero, I mean, we had the exact same communication style. So we were able to just dive right in. I think this time around, we're dealing with different communication styles mm -hmm. and completely valid communication styles. Mm -hmm. But that's been the big um, thing that we've, we've had to work through as a team. So each week we have a dedicated session that's like, let's talk about our feelings. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, yeah. So let's let's. That's go, pretty. Let's you know, that's pretty impressive. I must say, because uh, you wouldn't really think of the stereotypical Silicon Valley bro <laughs> culture, you know, patriarchy type thing. Saying, "Well, tell me about your feelings," and I'm <laughs> excited that you would say that because, you know, one of the main things reasons why companies fail is because the co-founders fight, they disagree. I mean, mm -hmm. money and co-founder fighting, I think, are the top two. I think it was is either CB Insights or Startup Genome, or yeah, they have so many of these uh, studies, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
Wow. So, I mean, how, how, so what were some of those discussions on like picking the co-founders and how, what, what are, what's some of the friction point? Actually, let's talk about the, what are the friction points when it comes to the different communication styles? Cause that, that's something that's pretty, pretty common. Yeah. I, I think that what I'm learning is everybody has different fears and things that they're trying to optimize against. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. Um, you know, all of us are trying to optimize towards a successful business. But if we sit around the table and talk about the things that we're trying to optimize towards, it actually isn't a very productive conversation. But when we sit around the table and go, what are the things that you're trying to optimize against? Yeah, good point. For, so for me, the deepest fear I have is that we put our heads down for six months build, 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 peek our heads up and say, hey, world, we have this piece of shiny software. That is my number one fear. And, and then nobody buys it because, you know, we didn't do any, you know, we, we were purely going off of intuition. Yep. I watched, you know, many of my consulting clients make this mistake back when I ran Vector Digital. So that is a deep-seated fear of mine. I think that um, a fear some of my other co-founders have are, not having enough of a plan going in. So, you know, do fancy business plans or slide decks make you feel safe? Do they, they help alleviate the risk or, you know, reduce the risk? And I think that some of them are optimizing against diving into something without a plan. Well, both of those are valid. And my co-founders that are sitting across the table from me None of them want to build for six months without talking to customers, but that's a fear that I have. So whenever they say a point, I'm kind of like running their point through my fear lens mm. and everything I hear is let's build, 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 build. So then, you know, it makes me nervous mm -hmm. on the flip side. When, when I say something like we will, or we will do customer development as a process to build a product roadmap. I think that what somebody on the flip side hears is I don't have a plan. Um, we were winging it <laughs> and we don't have a real business. And it, it's, it's just understanding the fears of the people at the other side and, you know, acknowledging that those fears are valid and finding ways to adapt your communication style to address those fears. So, couching statements. I want to iterate our way, but let's set a vision at mm. least, you know, some sort of six month vision, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but we'll keep that vision. We'll hold it loosely instead of really tight. And mm. I think that, you know, just striking that balance, it's all about like striking the balance between these, these various extremes and the balance that you strike is different depending on your co-founders and the fears that they have. You, you end up optimizing to different styles and that ultimately becomes the culture of your your business you know? yeah developing the culture wow so huh never quite thought about it that way although in practicality it's usually well most people are risk adverse or they're loss averse mm -hmm. so loss to them is 10 times worse than gain or seven it's some <laughs> it's some number greater than one, right? And less than a hundred or less than 10, I could say. 
Um, <clears throat> but thinking about like the optimization of the communication style and really what are people afraid of, that's a great way to put it because, yeah, you're right. You know what? Everyone wants to be successful or like wants this thing to be go. I mean, you wouldn't be doing it if you weren't. But saying like, what are the fears? What are the downsides? What are you afraid of? Wow, that's a, that's pretty good. So, has that process? How's that process been working out? I'll, I'll let you know in a couple of months. But I think that over the last month, it's been a very productive way for us to communicate. I think in the first couple of weeks, as we were feeling each other out, um, we would do our weekly touch point. And it's like oh, I feel like we're doing we're we're going in the wrong direction, or I feel like we're optimizing for this thing that I don't want, and. I think we were kind of just talking on different wavelengths and getting to the, you know, I think one of us finally said something, you know what I really am afraid of. And they said that, and all of a sudden the conversation got really productive. And ever since then I've been trying to like, okay, well, what's your fear going into this decision and using that fear based, like as some sort of baseline for understanding the person across from me, um, their motivations and you know whatnot, and that was a surprise to me. That's something that I never talked about with my previous co-founder. Um, we'll see how it works, but it, it seems to be working so far. Yeah, well, I mean, but your previous co-founder, you had the same communication style, so it was probably a little easier to kind of understand. Mm-hmm. We we shared the same fears, so we never had to talk about. Them. I mean, true. I mean, that's a great. Actually, that's a great. Uh, that's a great way to think about it because see, there's this book called never split the difference. And mm. it's a negotiation book by a ex FBI hostage negotiator. Um, and I listened to him on, I don't even remember what podcast it was, but it was a, I mean, really, maybe it was the knowledge project. Anyway, I'll find it and put it in the show notes, but he said that exact thing. So he's negotiating and he's negotiating with people that have hostages And the situation is literally life and death, and it could go super sideways. And so he always started with, well, kind of got to the exactly what you said. So what are you afraid of? What's the fear here? And then he goes into consulting, and he goes into consulting for negotiating the contracts. And the reason why he says never split the difference is because that's not what you should be doing. What you should be doing is figuring out the fears that the other party has. And I'm paraphrasing. Um, I'm probably getting it wrong, but but the the root of it was make sure the fears go away or mitigate the fear, mitigate what they're worried about. Because if you can do that, then it's just a question of can we have a deal? And so the more I think about it, the more you I wouldn't say you stumbled into it, but you know the, the what you're doing is based on like real kind of negotiation science or. Or at least hostage negotiation. I have no idea. Well, but but I think but I think that's that's this is the thing that that I think the nugget out of it, which which I really appreciate um, you sharing because that's you know hard to talk about your feelings. You know, everyone. You know, I personally think it's like one of the best things that especially men can do is you're a human. You have feelings. You can get sad and angry, and as a man, I can get angry, and that's acceptable, right? But I can't get sad because I think I'm weak. And on the converse, if you're a woman, you can be sad or emotional, quote unquote, but you can't get angry. And I'm like, oh, man, like, 
we're human. We should be able to do both. Mm-hmm. So it's good that you know, like kind of optimizing it. Cause I think the thing that no matter what happens with your business, if you set that baseline of culture where you're talking about these things and trying to understand, like, cause the worst thing it could be is that someone just goes off, off, off the rails and gets resentful. And I've had this experience too, in a, in a company where, um, one of the co-founders wanted to throw the CEO out and like literally a coup. <laughs> and I just remember I'm sitting there and I'm a, I'm a young guy, right? I'm young. You know, everyone else is older than me and I'm like this young guy. And I'm like, Oh, I can't believe this guy wants this coup. He's like, are you kidding me? Like, I've never seen this in play because I was a bit naive, right? I always thought work hard, you know, people got your back. Well, no, it's political. Everything's political, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing that was really interesting is that one of the people that were was working with, with us, sort of my mentor now, a guy named Jeff, he's actually the CEO of Lab Sensor. Um, he, he, his, he, so his approach was really different when it came to like confronting this. And I was just blown away. I'm like, huh, like this is, could go, if we had a huge amount of ego in this, this is going to go so sideways and people are going to be yelling and screaming and like lawsuit the whole, I mean, it, literally like that's the, how close it was. Mm-hmm. And his approach was like, what's your, what do you, I mean, I don't know if he put it like, what are you afraid of? But he like turned it around. And he said, well, what's in all of our best interests? What do you, what do you really want out of this? Mm. And I remember the guy said, his, his, name's, his name was Warren. And, he, and Warren's like, he said, he, after we did all this, this stuff, because we thought, again, we thought this is like, people are going to hit each other. He's just like, you know, that's the best firing I've ever had. <laughs> and I'm all, what's well, saying something, right? I'm saying a lot, right? And, and, and you know, it, it's just so fascinating. Huh. Cool. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I think it's so interesting. It's like words, you're always interpreting what the other person's saying through your lenses mm-hmm. of the world. And if mm-hmm. you can like share more about how you see the world and your lens, then people can hear your words, run it through what you, sh- you know, it's like you're giving somebody another thing to like calibrate words that you say. And if you just take words, like there's so much room for interpretation, but oh, if you yeah. understand like where that person's coming from, it just helps really like weight to these things and understand, is this like, is this part of their worldview? Are they deviating from that? Is this a surprising statement? Is this within their normal range? Like uh, just couching everything and, you know, calibrating. Hmm. Yeah, like calibrating the lens in which you hear the words or the filter, the filter. Because mm-hmm. I mean, we all filter, and we all have, <laughs> we all have fears and anxieties. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. as humans, we're just like a big anxiety machine at times. I mean, within reason. Like, you know, not everyone's like anxious, but there's times I can imagine, especially on a new venture, where you're gonna put. You know, I don't know how many hours on how many years, right? Usually startups, five to seven years minimum. Um, you know, the people that you're doing it with, you got to kind of trust. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it sounds like it's super interesting that I, th- I got to think more about that because I, li- I like that approach because of the fact that if you get all that stuff out early, you can kind of know how people are going to react. And then, you know, maybe they're not for you. Like uh, I talk to people 
a lot about how they do their founder dating or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it's like trust and they can explain things in, in, in you know, in simple terms, especially if you're non-technical co-founder and you're trying to find a technical co-founder, the tech mm-hmm. stuff is tough, man. Like it's so complex at times. So, so wow. Um, so switching it up a little bit. So how, how do you like, spend your day like how how, now you're starting this new company you know you do these daily or weekly check-ins sort of what what's your how do you how do you plan your day yeah it's uh it's wild we're settling into a new rhythm we have a number of weekly meetings that are recurring so at the beginning of week uh, the week we have a you know goal setting and task you know just like weekly planning meeting that's about an hour and a half and then um we have a weekly sales meeting you know, just big sales update. Who are all the leads that you reached out to? How'd your sales meetings go? And then we have a weekly tech meeting and that's kind of giving an update on product roadmap, um, learnings from the sales meetings. How does that impact tech? And those are kind of the, the three, uh, heartbeat meetings for the week. We do lots of informal meetings that we spin up on Slack. You know, somebody will say, Hey, you know, I have a piece of software that's ready to demo. Let's, you know, hop into a call really quick. So kind of these three big heavy meetings that are recurring and then we have a lot of unstructured time. And, you know, most of that collaboration happens on Slack. It's mm, you know, yeah. messaging each other back and forth and hopping on uh, informal calls. So my day personally, um, I bounce back and forth between the technology and the business side. So I'm working with a customer right now, trying to secure a deal, trying to solution for them and uh, do whatever I can to get a sale done. So, but then, you know, once that part of the day wraps up, you know, I'll reach out to some people, do some sales force stuff, some sales stuff. Then I have to put on my technology hat and that's where I'm hacking on our website or hacking on, you know, we have this, this tool that's lets us demo the models that we've built, hmm. either ones that we've built internally or ones that we are building for customers. Cool. And, you know, so in my blue collar example of detecting defective coffee mugs, it's like, we need a piece of software to like show their model. How does it work? Hey, can you send me 200 pictures of test coffee mugs? Let's run it through our software and give you a result of how it's performing and, and whatnot. So, you know, I then in the evenings, it's putting on my, my technology hat and it's, you know, coding front end, back end, you know, building this set of tools that we use to deliver for our customers. So it's, I'm all over the place, man. It's, it's that, it's accounting, it's, you know, lawyer stuff. It's all over the place. And lots of coffee. And lots of coffee. What's your, what's your, <laughs> what's your favorite coffee? So I really like the, um, uh, I get whole beans only. I'm not a, yeah, of course. Don't, don't do grounds like a crazy person. Um, <laughs> I, I, I bounce back and forth between uh, blue bottle and then verve. Yep. Um, yep. I like a lot of the Colombian beans. Yeah. I'm partial to those. Uh, I don't like the stuff that's just been over, over burnt. Yeah. You know, too dark. I like the stuff that's much more like light. Cool. Well, I need to hook you up with my friend, Phil. Mm. of sunset roasters <laughs> he's out in the mm. sunset um he's a artisan coffee roaster uh good friend of mine uh 
good stuff. He he hooks me up because I have a coffee addiction as well. <laughs> in mm, fact, I'm, yeah, I think I'm think tomorrow I'm going to go help him move a new roaster or something in in a COVID safe way. Like you know, anyway. But, of course. Uh, <laughs> but uh, does he does he sell beans? He does whole beans, and he can. He's in the sunset. You can pick it up, or he'll deliver it to you. That's how cool he is. Wow, yeah. I I might take him up on that yeah. by uh, you know four or five bags, so I don't have to like worry about going to the grocery store oh, and getting. He's the guy. <laughs> I need to talk to him. Awesome, yeah, cool. Well, hey man, it's been great to catch up. Like, super glad that you didn't leave the Bay Area. <laughs> and um, I'm glad I didn't leave either. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. And um, yeah, I mean, I. I keep in touch on the new biz. I'm I'm like super excited to see how it goes. And machine learning is a big deal now. I think it's only going to get more and more um, relevant. And Thank yeah, you. we'll we'll have to have you back on the pod in a in a little while to see how your uh, feelings um, beatings are going. Because I'm interested about that too. Yeah, let's let's chat in like you know three or six months. I'll give you the update on the business. Uh, you know you know, co-founder strategies and uh, let you know if we were able to like find our way to product market fit. Yeah, that's, that's the best. All right, man, you stay safe. Awesome. Thanks for having me. See you. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better. Benfit, that's a fact. I have Benfit, that's a fact. My credit card purchases get me cash back. My credit card purchases get me cash back. No one else gets these rewards. Sergeant, that is just plain untrue. What in tarnation? Sir, Penfed's Power Cash Rewards Card isn't just for military members. Anyone can get cash back on all purchases. Ah, friggins! You've ruined my favorite song. Penfed Credit Union. Visit penfed.org slash powercash. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of Penfed, insured by NCUA.